0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the tech.eu podcast with myself Neil Murray and Roxanne Vaza. Hi Roxanne. Mm -hmm.
1: Hi Neil! So this week we have a lot of great topics lined up. It was a big week for Europe's leading music streaming services, so we have announcements from both Spotify and Deezer. Rocket Internet announced that it has raised $420 million for the massive fund that there were rumors about last year. Factory, not to be confused with Factory Berlin, acquired local media Silicon Alley and announced plans for a housing project in Germany. We'll be covering Polish serial entrepreneur Turned investor Marius Gralevsky. And finally, Neil and I will wrap it up with a quick discussion of Europe's new wave of entrepreneur turned investors. <laughs> So let's turn our attention to the music industry. As two of Europe's leading streaming services, both Spotify and Deezer, made big announcements this week. I'm going to start it off with Deezer. So the company actually scrapped its IPO plans at the end of last year, claiming that there were unfavorable market conditions. It has just come back with an announcement that it has raised 100 million euros from historical investors. So that's Access and Orange. Now, for the record, Deezer was actually planning to raise roughly three times this amount through its IPO.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting, right? I mean, this was obviously their plan was to to go public. Um, and when that doesn't happen and you're left in a position where you now don't have that capital that you had planned to raise through going public, you're going to have to do something. So I don't think it's a surprise that they've raised this round because they have to. I mean, they needed that money somehow uh, in order to operate as they wish to do so this year. Uh, I mean, we talked last week about SoundCloud and kind of how that may be a bridge to the big Universal deal. And it, it's almost that debt money was to, to help get them to the next stage. I kind of have the same feeling with Deezer here. I mean, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that the plan is still to go public at some point, perhaps next year instead. So I imagine that this injection is almost a kind of keep us going or keep us on track for what we were targeting until then. But like you say, it's, it's kind of three times less in terms of their IPO. So it does put them in a bit of an awkward position. But, you know, it's good news for them that they're able to get that capital because otherwise I think they could have been in a sticky position.
1: Yeah, and I think they turned that around pretty quickly. So the company actually changed CEOs not too long ago. They announced a catalog of over 40 million songs, and the service is available in over 180 countries. So still growing very strong. I was actually at Deezer's uh, headquarters in Paris earlier this week, and the local office is now over 300 people. So I learned that the company, which was founded in 2007, actually has offices in a lot of different locations around the world. I didn't realize that they had so many offices outside of Paris. I think they told me Germany, San Francisco, they have an office in Latin America, and they're actually going to be going through a huge wave of hiring. So I guess that's not too surprising given the amount they just raised. So now as Deezer was announcing funding, Spotify announced an acquisition. So Stockholm-based company just announced that it has acquired a Dublin-based company called Soundwave. And obviously, they didn't disclose the amount. But for anyone who doesn't know Soundwave, it's a collaborative music discovery service that lets users create small groups to chat and share songs. To me, it sounds a lot like what that for music, even though I've never used the service. The app, which was launched in 2013, has been downloaded 1.5 million times. And Spotify, actually, it sounds like they've been going through a little wave of acquisitions. So they also recently acquired another company, which was New York-based Cord Project. And they design and build products for connected devices.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was quite interesting because the news came out at exactly the same time on the same day. The Deezer news and the Spotify news, it broke in the exact same minute. So it was quite amusing to kind of watch this play out, uh, kind of these two European giants in this space. It felt it certainly felt like a case of anything you can do, we can do better, breaking that news. I mean, it's probably a massive coincidence. They probably... Didn't have any idea, Uh, but I did find it amusing to kind of watch those stories break at the same time. Uh, And I think you have a good point about uh, Spotify seem to be, you know, they bought Echo Nest before. They bought two companies now. It's surprising it's not, I mean, in a sense that we've talked about European companies buying others, mainly in terms of corporations, but actually startups buying other startups and European startups, that doesn't happen that regularly. But when you think about Spotify, they're so far ahead of any other European company in terms of their valuation. I mean, I know money in the bank probably isn't that Impressive to be completely honest, but they still kind of do have that status and that power to be able to be picking up these other companies that will ultimately benefit them. So I think it's a good move for Spotify, I think, to be, to be looking at kind of picking up these companies, but at the same time, they're very kind of niche. So there, of course, is a limit to how many companies they can buy simply because how many companies are going to be worthy of them being part of Spotify. But yeah, I think it's a definitely a interesting trend to follow.
1: And I would say it's not an easy space to be in right now. It's definitely heating up in the music space. Uh, We covered SoundCloud on the last episode of the podcast, mentioning that they would be rolling out monetization features this year and that they were also well-positioned to take the lead in what would be music discovery. So I think it's an interesting interesting acquisition from Spotify that they would go ahead and acquire Soundwave. And another player that we obviously can't forget in this space is Apple, which is now aggressively pushing iTunes uh, users to subscribe to Apple. Apple Music. I don't know if you use iTunes now, but I just find it so aggressive. It's like almost annoying when you open the app. You have to go to Apple Music now. So their service was launched at the end of June. The company has already reached 10 million subscribers, but I think Spotify is still way ahead with something like 20 million paying users. So probably not too
0: worried about Apple. Apple grew really, really quickly, right? And I was a paying user. So yeah, iTunes pushed it in my face enough. As you said, I mean, I signed up to the free trial, and then I actually paid for another two or three months as well. But at the same time, I was using Spotify still. And actually, now I've dropped Apple Music and gone back to Spotify completely. But actually, I don't think like, yeah, great, they kind of grew so quickly. But of course, they will do because it's already kind of built in to to everyone's, um, you know, iPhone, etc. And that's kind of we're we're always going to see this jump even though, yeah, they, they grew to, to kind of 10 million uh, already and Spotify, yeah, 20 million paying users. I expect Spotify to announce 27 and a half million paying users. That's just my personal uh, prediction, but I think they'll they'll probably announce that later this month, uh, at least somewhere around that. So yeah, it looks like Apple are catching them really, really fast. But do you know what? I think within five years, Spotify will still have more paying subscribers than Apple Music. I know that's kind of a, a bold prediction to make, especially how quick Apple have grown, but I really think that, The hard part for Apple is now is after that kind of initial hit of everyone jumping on board and paying what to do now and Spotify have such a head start in terms of that but and also credit should be given to Spotify for kind of making this a industry in itself and making people kind of open to paying for music to pay for streaming music so in many ways Spotify paved the way for Apple to, to kind of jump into this space but yeah I actually think Spotify will stay ahead even in five years.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting to see that Apple is only now catching on to streaming. But I love it when you make big, bold predictions like that, Neil. So I think our listeners are going to have to stay tuned and, and, yeah. uh, and see if that's true.
0: Yeah, tune in in five years.
1: <laughs> well, we're still doing the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, turning our attention to Rocket Internet. So, the Samwares are back invading the podcast again. As our listeners may remember, there were rumors last year about the Samwares preparing to raise a $1 billion growth fund. They just announced a first closing for the fund. So, it's apparently to be called Rocket Internet Capital Partners. I think that's a really great name. And they've announced $420 million under their belt. So Rocket itself actually only contributed $50 million of that. The other investors for the fund were not disclosed, but I think the, they mentioned that they included pension funds, asset managers, insurance companies, and the likes. And they've made it very clear that this capital is not going to be used towards early stage investments in Rocket Internet companies.
0: Yeah, I mean what's interesting about this fund is it's gonna be even bigger. And right now it's it's already kind of four hundred and twenty million, like you said. That's actually I mean they announced it as this as well. This is the biggest European kind of internet focused fund. So I did kind of question that and say, hang on, what about index, what about Atomico? But they look at hardware and other areas as well where this fund is purely kind of looking at internet only. So they they've kind of uh, they very cleverly cotton on to that fact that they could actually sell that this is the largest fund in Europe in that space. And it's true. And what's interesting is it's only going to get bigger
1: yeah so I think um, it'll be interesting to see the pace at which they announce the pace at which they grow. they always kind of surprise us. so I think this was a, an, an the fund itself was never actually announced. I think it was just kind of rumors, but just a few months out they've already got four hundred and twenty million, so we'll have to follow that very closely. But now we have more news from Germany actually, so factory announced some big news this week, and I was actually very confused when I heard this story because I thought factory and Factory Berlin were the same, but they're actually not so factory berlin is the big massive space in berlin where a lot of different startups works and factory is a network of spaces i guess i hate to compare it they're probably not gonna like this but maybe like a german we work that has uh, apparently spaces all over europe
0: yeah i mean you, you mentioned about factory and factory berlin um i also fought that as well and i i kind of spoke to robin about this and he said yeah there is without, without going into any detail there is some history here so i don't think it's it's too crazy for you to to assume that or for me to assume that so i think there is some kind of a history behind the scenes in terms of that
1: yeah, I think we won't go into it because that's not the topic, but definitely an interesting one to, to look into. So Factory has just announced that they have acquired Berlin's Silicon Alley tech blog and that they will be expanding into startup housing. So this seems to be a huge new trend. As far as the acquisition is concerned, they didn't disclose terms, but it seems it was a six-figure amount. So I think that's probably in line with what's to be expected when you acquire a small publication. For the housing project, they've already announced a seven square meter space that will be both co-living and working. And this is following up on a huge trend with brands like WeWork expanding into living spaces with WeLive. There's now New York-based Common, which seems to be getting a lot of attention. It was founded by former General Assembly founder. There's a lot of different projects like this, but actually they're still relatively less common in Europe. And I'm definitely not very objective when it comes to this topic because I'm working on a very similar project in Paris. We're working on a massive incubator, but we also have plans to build apartments or flats to house up to 600 entrepreneurs as part of our project.
0: Yeah, I think this is a really, really interesting space, actually. I was in Stockholm a couple of weeks ago, and I stayed in what was one of the oldest houses in Stockholm, but had actually been turned into a co-living, co-working space. So there was about, I think there was 12 entrepreneurs there who all lived together. And I stayed there uh, for the night, and it was really cool, actually. Um, And I could, while I was there, I could really see the potential of that. And I, I also understand why kind of we work moving into that. So for me, the the bigger kind of play there is is there. I mean, if you're talking about community, that's where the real play is, rather than the co-working uh, space. So yeah, I I can kind of see the bigger picture here, especially after visiting that in Stockholm. And that's who's Twenty Four House Twenty Four in Stockholm, which is which is really cool. And also, I think I can see the potential of kind of blogs and co-working spaces kind of merging as well because i think actually in in order to kind of scale or to in order to hit their full potential what a local blog or what a local co-working space has to be is to benefit the community but also to, to kind of leverage that community and to be an entry point into it and also to have the community contribute into it so actually i think they make a really really good fit
1: yeah, I thought it was a very smart move from factory. So now let's move our attention to Poland. So I think it's actually a country we have perhaps never spoken about on the podcast. Um, but we have a very impressive serial entrepreneur turn investor that is making headlines over there. So this is Mariusz Gralevski. He's actually pretty young. He's only 31, definitely somebody to watch. He's founded several companies and more recently made several early stage investments into some up and coming startups through Polish VC fund, which is called Protos. So Marius actually back in 2007, when he was still a student, he founded goldenline.pl, which is essentially the Polish LinkedIn.
0: Yeah. And then he later went on to found Dockplanner.com, which I've actually heard of before. I'm pretty sure I've, I've heard of this. And that's the Polish ZocDoc. And that's actually in 25 markets, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Germany, that kind of Central and Eastern Europe area. And they actually took in a 10 million B round in May of last year, which is perhaps probably why I've heard of them.
1: Yeah. And then even more recently, he started investing in uh, different startups through Polish VC fund Protos, which you mentioned earlier. Seems like they're actually a relatively young team. So almost everybody at Protos seems to be in their 30s. He's invested in a handful of companies, including question and answer site Brainly. And it looks like a tick competitor as well, which is called Shoplo.com. So I think definitely we'll have to stay tuned on what Marius will be investing in and founding next because he's definitely someone to watch in Poland. Finally, it seems that every week we have a great topic to discuss. And I think this week we realize that there's actually essentially what looks like a new wave of entrepreneur-turned-investors in Europe. So I feel like a few years ago, the European ecosystem seemed to feel that there were more people in investment with financial or consulting backgrounds and not enough with entrepreneurial backgrounds. And It actually looks like this is really changing. So there have been more and more entrepreneurs that have started turning to investments, whether it be through angel investments or through a proper fund. But I would argue that more and more funds are teaming up with entrepreneurs as well. So this past week, for example, Atomico, which we've recently covered quite a bit, has, I mean, obviously the the fund itself is founded by Skype founder, Nicholas Zenstrom, but they've added what they're calling some entrepreneur partners to the fund as well. So these include founders of companies like LastMinute.com, Supercell, and
0: Jawbone. Actually, I think you hit the nail on the head at the beginning. It's a, it used to be very much about financial consulting backgrounds. So then the USP of VCs in Europe was... We, we were once entrepreneurs we get you you know and and like almost every VC firm has had that approach for the last couple of years like that's their USP when you ask them you know what are you doing differently you know we were entrepreneurs we understand you but unfortunately I think a lot of the time that isn't necessarily true or at least it's not true to the type of caliber that you would perhaps expect or want and, and Europe has that available now and actually Atomica are a good example of tapping into that so the founders that they are getting lastminute.com super. Oh, jawbone. All companies, successful companies and a kind of very experienced entrepreneurs and also with a profile as well, which I think is important in terms of their firm. And kind of as we move away from this selling, you know, sales pitch of, you know, we really do get you, it's not needed. If you know Brent Hoberman and you know kind of Ilka Pennanin and you know the founders, then it's not needed. So I think it's very interesting how, how the kind of makeup of VCs is changing, but also kind of the sales pitch or or their branding is changing as well.
1: Yeah, so Atomico is obviously not the first one to do this, nor is it the only, or is the UK the only location to have funds like this. So we mentioned previously that Brent Oberman, we talked about this on other podcasts. He had previously been involved with Profounders, so it's another kind of entrepreneur-based fund outside of the UK. and other countries, we have other funds that have strong entrepreneurial DNA. I think one that really comes to mind in France is ISAI, which functions as a collective of entrepreneurs. I think they have something like one hundred and 30 entrepreneurs that work with the fund, people who have founded companies like Price Minister, Apps Fire, Showroom Privé, and essentially they have an interesting model whereby they take sometimes two seats on the board, one for someone in the fund and one for one of the entrepreneurs that's part of their collective. So very interesting model. And then I think we still have a few... Entrepreneurs themselves that actually found funds. I would argue that Atomico is still a very rare example of this.
0: Yeah, and I think that's just because we're not there yet. Maybe I mean Europe perhaps isn't you know mature enough for that to have happened yet. I mean Nicholas is someone who's been in the the scene for for a while and has founded several companies and has now turned his hand to investing and setting up a fund. And I'm sure we will see that more. And actually, what these kind of entrepreneur partners coming in or these angel investors who are kind of tying themselves to the VC funds in Europe. Europe, they're getting good experience to be able to do that at a later point. So I think Europe perhaps just hasn't got to that point yet, but that we will do. And these are steps towards that. One thing I would say, though, with these kind of entrepreneur partners or angels is one thing i don 't understand is how they can be uh, not necessarily the entrepreneur partners because they 're more experienced as we said, but there's a lot of angels in Europe actually who are still very operational in their companies and in companies which need attention so I think it's quite interesting at that level where you where you're not kind of you haven't exited yet you 're still operational you 're doing very very well and then you start getting involved in a load of angel investments i I find that a kind of tricky stage to to understand because I find it hard to to figure out how you can be really giving good attention to your companies in your portfolio but also kind of maintaining that you're 100% focuses on growing your company so I think that's uh, kind of the tricky stage in between just being a founder and then eventually setting up your own VC fund there's this kind of tricky stage in the middle but perhaps kind of entrepreneur partners once you've made it is is a way of the next step after that
1: yeah looks like a good model for potentially other funds to look into
0: yeah, definitely. And that's it for this week. We covered quite a lot. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, and we're also on Acast. And that's the embed that we use on our posts now. And where we predominantly are, so do check out Acast. Please do give us your feedback on the show. I know several of you reached out to us last week, which was great. And we listened to all of your feedback. You can find us on Twitter, at NeilSWMurray, and at RoxanneVarza, at tech underscore eu and the website is tech.eu and we'll be back next week bye roxanne
1: bye neil